If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 9. In fact, that's where we're going to be rooted today, but we're going to bounce around a lot. We're going to do some Bible study today to understand how do we get through dark times. So uh, we're going to start in verse 27. And here's the background for those of you who might be new to us in this series. Uh, we've been exploring Jesus's miracles and him working in different people's lives when they were experiencing crazy dark times and how to help them in the middle of that time. What he did to radically transform people's lives when they were in the middle of crazy dark times, but the responses that these people had to Jesus and their faith in the middle of the darkness before they got healed, that's what we want to talk about most because that is going to be our rock as we move forward. So Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27, here we go. As Jesus went on from there, he's traveling around the Sea of Galilee, just preaching the gospel and healing people with his crew. As Jesus went on from there, two blind guys followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he'd gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Now Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. A couple things just like completely jump off the page to me as I first read this. I had some questions. <laughs> Why did Jesus want to keep them quiet? Number one. I mean, these guys have been blind and he just healed them. And he says, hey, don't tell anybody about this. What's up with that? And then the other one is these guys are crying out loud in the middle of a public space. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus kind of ignores them at first. You catch what happened there? He goes indoors. He gets out of the public and he goes indoors. I mean, what? So here's the thing. We're going to get to both of those in a second. But before we get there, here's what really stood out to me as I was studying this this week. Jesus healed a lot of different people and a lot of different conditions. Blindness was the most that he ever healed. He spent more time with blind people and healing blind people than any other category in Scripture. I mean, he healed lame people. He made people that couldn't walk be able to walk again. He healed paralyzed guys. He healed people who couldn't speak. He healed people who couldn't hear. Uh, he even brought the dead back alive. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus and I wanted to major in one category, it'd probably be bringing dead people back alive, right? Like if I could get old people that had been buried in the ground and have them come out of their graves and just suddenly start walking around again, it'd be like, woo, Jesus is the real deal. Like that's how I'd want to do it. And I'd be like, look, let's just put this whole thing to rest about this whole son of God thing. I'm going to bring people out of their graves and you're just going to believe it, right? Not Jesus' style. Jesus chooses blind people to heal the most. Why? In the first century, blindness was a pretty common thing. You didn't have the kind of protection over your eyes that we do. The, the UV rays are really strong in the Middle East. Uh, you didn't have the hygiene that we had to be able to take care of eyes. But that's not even the reason either. It's not the commonality of blindness that Jesus chose to heal the most. It was actually a lot deeper than that. Jesus always connects the physical healing of blindness with the spiritual reality of sight versus no sight. Huge theme in all of Scripture. In fact, uh, before we keep going on in this, I mean, this is really what Jesus is trying to tell us. Just because you can see doesn't mean that you can actually see. 
Just because you can physically pay attention to the things around you doesn't mean you're understanding, you're perceiving the bigger realities of life. So let me take you to another healing uh, in Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, let me just turn quickly to Mark chapter 8. It's going to be on the screen as well. But I want to take you to another quick story to show you a little bit of why Jesus heals blind people and what happens in the middle of this for us. Because when we look at Jesus healing blind people, it's, we're not supposed to just take it away and be like, wow, that was a really cool story. Way to go, Jesus, he healed a blind person. He's got something deeper for us to see in this. So Mark chapter 8, this is what happened. In, in verse 22, they get to this town called Bethsaida. Uh, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. You see that theme again. Jesus was not going to deal with it in public. He's actually going to take someone in private, get him outside the village. That's a theme in some of the blind stories here. He's going to deal with it in private. And this is what happens next. When he had spit on the man's eyes, pretty, really gross. We're not going to get into that, okay? Jesus got his own methods. I don't know why he does that sometimes. But he puts his hands on him, and Jesus asked him, do you see anything? Check out what happens. The man looked up and said, oh, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now, look, if we're looking at this and you see blind people start saying they look like trees, like how does a blind person have that category, right? You know, like how does a blind person know what a tree looks like? Well, look, I mean, it's probably the fact that this guy had become blind later in life. He had some categories of trees beforehand, but he can't see it all clearly yet. This is what's so fascinating about this miracle. Jesus heals him partially, but not fully yet. This is, what, what it, this is how it goes on. He looked up, I see people, they look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Now, is Jesus just having like an off day? <laughs> you know, man, that spits connection there, a little solution I put together just wasn't working. Let me try it again. Not so much. Why did Jesus do it this way? Because he wants to see, he wants to show us that just because we're seeing something, we're, we're able to actually pay attention to things physically around us, doesn't mean we're perceiving the entire reality of that whole situation. Just because you can see doesn't mean that you can actually see. In fact, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 14, he says about those who lack the deeper faith to grasp the bigger reality of what's actually happening in life. He says, and he quotes Isaiah in this. He, he says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. All right, this morning, uh, I'm trying to get the kids ready. Charity is practicing to get ready uh, to, to sing this morning, which means Sunday mornings are a nut house for us in the house uh, because I'm preparing my message. She's trying to practice music and we still got to get breakfast on the table. The kids aren't up yet. And Charity's like, hey, I'm going to go get everything set up here. Uh, and she's looking at me. I'm looking at her and she's saying, hey, I got uh, bread in the toaster. All you got to do is turn the toaster on. You got it? And I'm like, she's like, you didn't hear a word I said. I'm like, like, just because you're hearing doesn't mean you're hearing. Can I get an amen from the wives in the room? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, some of the moms in this room are like, kids, you pay attention right now. All right. Look, just because you're hearing something doesn't mean you're understanding. And he says you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. There was a moment uh, about a year and a half ago where Charity and I actually had the privilege to get away. Uh, for the first time in our, our married lives of having kids. For five years, we'd had kids and we'd never escaped uh, for more than a day to get away and just have time, the two of us. Uh, we went to Florida. We spent some time with my Grammy down there. And I'm telling you, it's about as close to paradise as we had ever experienced in our lives. Um, and uh, what we realized in that trip 
was that, man, some of the hard stuff that we'd been experiencing lately in our life actually had nothing to do with conflict between the two of us. I mean, we're enjoying those five days. It was like we rediscovered just how awesome each other is. It's like, man, you're my best friend. This is so much fun. And what we realized was that the battle that we thought had kind of been the battle, like it was between us, was not actually between us. It was outside of us. It's just the craziness of trying to raise a young family and start a church from scratch. That's nuts. And when we got away from it all, we got perspective on the whole thing, we realized, man, the reality here is that we are so in love with each other and we've got this incredible marriage here. Sometimes you can see, but you can't see. You know what I'm saying? For some of us in this room, like that's how it feels with your finances. Like all you can think about is your money. You've been budgeting hard. You've been working hard. You've been saving. You've been like every spare minute you get, you just continue to check that bank account, make sure things are good and all that. And in the middle of it, you're losing focus on why you even have those resources to begin with. Are you using those to build friendships, (laughs) to bless your kids, to bless your friends, to, to use it for the kingdom of God? Or is it just that final bit of security that you won't let go of because you feel like, man, if I just have that under control, my life is good. Have you missed the big picture? We can see, but we can't see sometimes. For some of us in this room, like you, th- you feel like your security is in all in your, in your job success. If I'm doing well in my job right now, if, if my job is secure, then I'm secure. And so you're tempted to spend ridiculous hours at work, just working and working and working and feel like, man, the more I can put it in my work, the more secure I can feel there, the more secure my life is going to be. And you've missed out on the relationships around you and on your marriage or your friendships, maybe even your relationship with God. Is it possible that we can see but not see? Here's another scary truth. It's possible to see truth and not actually perceive real truth. Ready? In Matthew 16, we have this famous confession of Peter. Peter's one of the, the top guys in Jesus' crew. He's, he's the guy that would go on to be, you know, the, the leader of the early church in the book of Acts. Uh, they, they called him a rock because that's how much of a leader he was. And in this moment, uh, Jesus is walking. He hadn't done his whole death and resurrection thing yet. He hadn't done that. Uh, but Jesus asked his, his crew, his disciples, this really interesting question. He says, hey, who do people say I am? And they start rattling off all sorts of things they've been hearing. You know, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. You know, some people say you're just a great prophet. And then he stops them in their tracks and he says this penetrating question. Who do you say I am? And in that moment, Peter comes up with this incredible confession. He says, man, I believe you're the son of God, the Messiah. And if we stopped the tape right there, we'd be like, man, Peter is the man. He just dropped it. Peter had the vision. He could see the reality bigger than anyone else could. He didn't have the death and the resurrection and he still got it right. He still understood that truth about Jesus. And yet, you know what happens immediately afterwards? This is crazy, ready? Jesus follows up this incredible confession by saying, hey, uh, this is what's gonna happen to me. I'm gonna die. I'm actually going to be handed over to our, our enemies here. And they're not only going to persecute me and abuse me, but they're actually going to pin me to a cross and I'm going to die. And Peter says, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. You know that whole Messiah thing that I was just talking about? Jesus, I'm just going to rebuke you in this moment because you don't get it. 
He pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if you believe someone's the son of God, rebuking him is probably not a good idea. Uh, but he does it anyway. He, he takes him aside. He says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I'm not making this up. In one moment, Peter's the hero. And in the next moment, Jesus calls him Satan. Is it possible to see but not see. Some of us in this room, we are so bent on understanding theology and crossing our T's and dotting our I's when it comes to the things of God and understanding the Bible here that we've actually missed out on what this is about in the first place. Uh, when I was training at our, our, uh, the, the church that was training me to, to create a, a church from scratch, um, <laughs> they, they found out that I, I was religious when it came to reading my Bible every single day. Uh, I would, I would, carve out that time first thing and read this. And, uh, and they wanted to challenge me. They were really good at challenging me a lot of different ways. I won't get into some of the crazy things they actually asked me to do, which were really good. Uh, but they said, here's your challenge. I want you to try to develop a relationship with God uh, by actually not reading this for a whole week every month. And I was like, wait, wait, come again? Isn't the Bible how we get to know God? And they said, that's your challenge. Develop that by not reading this at all. Here's what I came to find out. You ready? I found out the way that I was treating God was almost like my wife had written me a letter, a love letter, and we went out on a date and she's sitting across the table and all I'm doing in that moment is reading her letter. I'm not paying attention to actually who she is in that moment. I'm just reading the letter. And she's like, hey, I'm right here. Is it possible that we can just be so bent on truth that we've missed what this truth is about? This is about a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And he's given us instructions in this book to actually make a difference in the lives of other people around us. It's a blueprint for making kingdom lasting, eternal life-changing impact in our community. Jesus looked at some of the Pharisees constantly and was calling them blind guides because they were so bent on understanding the words of this without the lifestyle of what's behind it. He said, you're blind guides, quoting Isaiah 29. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he said, it's like the blind leading the blind. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that this is powerful. And we've got to dive into the word of God, but we've got to understand the bigger picture because it's easy to see and not see. How are your eyes today? You paying attention? possible that we could be seen but not see. Look, we, we understand this really well, don't we? It's possible to be right in a moment, but really not right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, this is good news for marriages in this room, okay? If you go into a fight saying, I'm going to win this battle, you're going to lose every time, every time. I'm telling you, you could be dead right. Man, I did set the coffee last night. That stupid coffee machine just ain't working today. I prepped it. It's ready to go. It just didn't work. You could be right on that. <laughs> Look, I'm using a stupid example. We don't even fight about that. I don't know what you guys fight about. But like marriage in the room, pick your battles because if you go into it thinking, man, I'm going to win this, you could be missing the whole picture. Because relationships weren't, they weren't sustained on being Right as much as getting the relationship right. 
Can you see? Sometimes we can see, but we don't see. So how do we regain our vision? How do we do that? Let's dive back into the story that we're reading today in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, this is what happens, ready? Jesus, uh, when, he, when he, this is so fascinating. When he's walking, these blind guys come up to him and they start crying out. I mean, they're yelling, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And again, he, he, this is just so fascinating to me. He doesn't just deal with it in public. He takes these guys into a quiet room. He goes indoors and he deals with this. Why? Now, here's, we have to understand something about the first century. The son of David was a particular title. Jesus' earthly dad wasn't actually David. It was Jesse. No, it wasn't Jesse. Sorry, it was Joseph. Um, it's like David's dad was Jesse, not Jesus. Jesus' dad was Joseph. You guys are all like, Ugh. Okay, anyway, um, that wasn't his real dad. What that title meant was that uh, this, these blind guys were associating a messianic significance about Jesus. Now, in the first, first century, what they were anticipating, if you were a good Jew, they were anticipating that somebody would come in the footsteps of their ancestor, David, and set the game straight. David was not only one of the best kings in all of Israel, uh, but he was a military genius. He created a lot of peace. He eradicated a lot of enemies back in the day. And they thought someone following in the footsteps of David is going to come and liberate us from our oppressors. First century, Jews are under the oppression of Rome. Rome's, are taking, Rome's taking their money. Rome's dominating the known world. And they're anticipating somebody's going to come and liberate us politically from all of this mess. We're going to get our land back. It's going to be good. That's where the Messiah is going to come. And so when these guys are crying out, son of David, son of David, this is what Jesus is worried about in that moment. Everyone's going to come alongside. And it's going to be some sort of a massive political movement. We got to deal with this in private. Because what I'm about in this moment is not a political movement. I'm about something a lot deeper and a lot greater than that. He says, in fact, my kingdom is not of this world. My movement is not made of buildings or financial budgets. My movement starts in hearts. And that's why the kingdom of God knows no boundaries. <laughs> it's been all over the world. And the movement of Jesus has actually gone across all ethnic boundaries, all national boundaries, all gender boundaries, language barriers. It goes across all of that because it goes right to the heart. And that's why Jesus takes these guys into private and says, man, let's do business here. I want to ask you some questions. What do you really believe? This is so fascinating to me. Look, some of us in this room, we believe that we got the best idea for our life. And if God could just get on board with my plan for me, life's going to be good. God, if you could just help align some of my finances right now, that'd be awesome because then my life's going to be good. If you could just give me that person that I've been waiting for because I'm feeling pretty lonely right now, if you could just line that up, man, life's going to be great. I, I just really use that right now. Or maybe some of you parents, you're just like, man, if I could just get my kids to start doing this, 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 or this, man, all that pressure would start coming off. If I could get rid of some of these health issues, if I could get rid of some of my wisdom teeth issues, okay? Please, Jesus, okay? Look, pray for me this week, all right? Because I've been crumbling a little bit on that one. But here's the beautiful thing about blindness. Blindness might take away one of your senses, but it heightens others. You talk to any blind person about this. I didn't get to talk to any blind people this week, so I'm probably speculating a little bit. But my guess 
is that blind people can smell things a lot better than you and I can. My guess is they can smell that fresh baked bread that just rolled out of someone else's oven down the street before you can. And they're like, hmm, ooh, that's good. They can smell that bacon crackling away. Like they can smell that neighbor that they want to stay away from, their bad feet. Like, oh man, Joe's coming. Okay, I got to move out of the way. Like they can probably smell things better than we can. They can probably feel things better than we can because man, if they bump into something that's sharp, I got to stay away from that. They can feel that. Like their, their senses aren't any different from ours but they're heightened, right? That's the beautiful thing about blindness. Some of us right now, we're going through some dark times. And every time we go through something dark, God uses that as an opportunity to heighten your spiritual sense. Pay attention to that. Lean into it, not away from it. God's giving you a gift in this moment. Press into him. Don't back away from him. Because when you press in, he's going to show you something that you hadn't seen before. Because we can see, but not see. I tell you what, (laughs) when I was on a liquid diet for a month, I fell in love with food texture. I realized what I wasn't getting when I didn't have it. And some of us in this room, like, you got to know something. That God's showing you what you have been missing for a while by taking something away from you. Use that as a gift. <clears throat> Reach out. Jesus promises that when we seek him, when we, when we look after him with all of our heart, that we're actually going to find him. Do you understand the value of that promise from our heavenly father, the one who created all the universe, when he says, with you, when you seek me with all of your heart, you're actually going to find me? He says, you're going to find the God of the universe when you start looking for him. But you got to go all in. It's the beautiful thing about blindness. He takes these guys indoors and he deals with them in a private space. And check out the question that Jesus asks them in this moment. I love this. We would anticipate that Jesus would say, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Right? They're blind. Clearly they've got an agenda. Not the question Jesus asks. What does he ask? Do you believe? Man, that's a fascinating question. To a blind person? Jesus, these guys are blind. He says, no, 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 no. Do you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Guys, Jesus is never truly your savior until he's your savior in private when no one's looking. When no one's looking, Do you still pursue him in the word of God? Do you still pursue him in prayer? Do you still passionately cry out to him? Or do you save it all for Sunday morning? Jesus is asking you in private, what do you believe? And it's actually your deepest convictions about what you believe about God that are gonna carry you through the darkest seasons of your life. Jesus is constantly trying to get all of us to the point of asking us, what do you believe? Where are you in the private world of your life? What's your deepest convictions and have you wrestled with that? What do you believe? What's your conviction? Because here's the reality about faith. Whatever your deepest conviction is, is gonna drive your life. 
Whatever you believe most is what's going to drive your life. Our society tells us you just check your faith at the door, just deal with the public realm and, and just keep your private world to yourself. Jesus says that's actually an impossibility. You can't do that because what you most deeply believe is going to lead to all of your actions. It's going to lead to all of your words. If you believe on the inside of yourself that it's your image that's actually going to get you the approval that you want with other people, you're going to spend a lot of time working on that hair and getting the right clothes. And some of you look good this morning. Okay? Some of us in this room, like, you spent a lot of time on that image. And some of you are just like, man, you just got a new jacket. Like, yes, I did. It looks pretty good too, doesn't it? Look, but we're tempted in this room right now to think that some of the things that we put so much time and energy in are actually going to save us. My job, my success, the approval I get from other people. What's your functional belief? You could say that you believe that God will provide for all of your needs, but are you stingy with your resources? You could say that God has forgiven you, but do you wrestle with those moments in private with anger, uncontrollable anger sometimes towards the people who've hurt you? You could say that you believe that God's in control, but are you white knuckling some things in life? We could say certain things, but when it comes to your functional savior, we've got some hard looking to do because we could say we see, but we can't see. Where's the state of your eyes today? Here's what Jesus says about faith. You ready? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this about faith. Faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we do not see. Isn't that wild? It's confidence about what we hope for and certainty about what we do not see. Faith is saying, man, I believe in God even when I can't see him right now. Even when I can't put those pieces together of what he's doing, I can't figure out some of the things that I'm going through. I don't even know what's the point in all of this. I'm still going to believe. I'm still going to trust him. Man, if you got some time this week, I encourage you to work through Hebrews chapter 11, the rest of that. This is what begins chapter 11, but it goes on to talk about some of the heroes of our faith. And boy, did they go through some dark times and they did not give up. They did not give up. For some of us in this room, like you've never had that alone time in your life to really actually examine what is it that I believe? What do I believe? I mean, given the evidence that we have with science, is faith even a thing? With all the evil and suffering that I see in the world, is God actually real? Is he powerful? Is he loving? What, I mean, is Jesus really the only way? And look, if that's where you are right now, I encourage you to wrestle with that. We actually have an environment called the problem of God where we get honest about that. You can actually go to our groups at thewellnh.org slash groups and actually sign up for that group um, because we wanted to provide an environment that we could wrestle with legitimate content but we could do it in a conversational way where you're never going to feel judged, but you're provided that opportunity to really wrestle with that. If that's you, please see somebody afterwards or go to our website and find that and sign up for it because we want to create that space for you. It's your deepest convictions, what you most believe about reality that's going to drive your life. Do you know it? Here's what's so fascinating to me. You ready? Did these guys, did they start following Jesus? And crying out to him passionately after he healed them? When was it? It was before. It wasn't afterwards, it was before. 
And for some of us in this room, man, you're, you're like, you're waiting. God, if you could just give me that person, if you could just hand over the finances, if you could just work all these different things, if I could just get my job, if I could make that secure, then I'll start serving you. Then I'll start giving. Then I'll start doing this stuff. And Jesus is saying, well, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I want you to follow me now. In the middle of the storm, in the middle of the dark, because that's the only pathway that these guys eventually got healed in. To follow Jesus before it's all figured out. To press into him and rely on him even when you don't understand what's going on. So how did these guys even know that Jesus was really the guy? They're blind. Could they have seen Jesus do any miracles before? They saw nothing. Kind of the definition of blindness, right? They saw nothing. They're relying entirely on what they heard from other people and what they've known about the promises of God taught them. What were those promises? This is likely what they were relying on. In Isaiah, this is hundreds of years written before Jesus. Uh, in Isaiah 29, 18, it says, in that day, talking about the Messiah, the son of David, it says, in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of the gloom and the darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. In Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, it says, Then the eyes, speaking of this Messiah, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And again, in Isaiah 42, 6 through 7, this is like the greatest book for those who are going through dark times. This is promise, this promise of God. He's going to come. He's going to deliver you. He's going to do something. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness how precious are God's promises to you do you know them have you sat in them long enough to let them circulate over your heart again and again and again to meditate on them and to let the truth so penetrate to the point that when you go through darkness, the hope of God is what you're clinging to. Is that a rhythm in your life? Do you spend time regularly with God in his word to, to go over it and wrestle with it? And believe me, <laughs> I get it. Waking up early might be the only option you got and your sleep is precious to you. I get that. There's some days where I wake up and like my eye is twitching out of control, okay? But God's promises are precious. Wow, I just sounded like Gollum in that morning. It was kind of creepy, wasn't it? Anyway, anyway, this is precious. Like if you really believe that God is who he says he is, you're gonna spend time in his word. Guys, we got groups that want to help you with that. We've got groups midweek that actually meet with people to wrestle with the word of God, challenge them, hold them accountable and unpack some of this stuff in a deeper way that's really meaningful. If you have not yet been a part of a group, I challenge you guys, man, do it. Be a part of a group because they're gonna get into this. We're gonna challenge each other and actually ask each other, what do you believe? Is it strong enough? Don't let the circumstances of your life dictate your faith. That's not what these guys did. They could have bled into their emotions here and, and, and said, man, my emotions of being a blind person, I hate being a blind person. That's, you know, that's just gonna dictate my life. It's gonna shackle me. It's gonna control me. I'm not gonna live into that. Like, but they refuse to do that. They refuse to let their circumstances control their faith, not their emotions, not their circumstances. Instead, they, they went back to their deepest convictions about who they believe God to be. And that's what caused them to follow. 
What do you believe? So one more story that popped out to me that blew my mind as I was working through it to, to talk about how we need to arrest our life away from the, the circumstances and our emotions controlling us. There's this unbelievable moment in 2 Kings chapter 6 where there's a prophet, Elisha, who's working for God and he's protecting the nation of Israel. There's, there's a kingdom uh, called Aram at the, at the moment uh, that actually wants Israel dead. They want them wiped off the map. They don't want them existing anymore. They just, they want them gone. And so they're making all these different plans, military strategies and tactics. They're trying to pinpoint them in different places when the Israelite army are, is going to be in just the right place at just the right time to ambush them and wipe them out. And every single time God gives Elisha special info on it and actually alerts the king of Israel and says, hey, don't go there because this army is going to come. Ticks off the king of Aram. Because he's like, you're blowing all my plans, man. So he looks at his army and says, I want you guys to go track this dude down and take him out. They do. He, this massive army comes up <laughs> against Elisha, one dude, and his servants. And at one point, Elisha and his servant wake up and in the morning, they look outside and they're surrounded by the army. Surrounded. Now, I don't know about you guys. But I'd start panicking at that moment, just like the servant did, okay? The servant starts panicking. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And he goes, oh no, my Lord, what are we gonna do? Some of you are feeling that way right now. In some areas of your life, you're thinking, oh no, what am I gonna do? Check out what Elisha does. This is, this is so rad. This is what real faith is like. He looks at his servant and says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. This is what he prayed. Ready? Oh, Lord, open his eyes so that he could see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and you know what he saw? He saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire. God has always got your enemies outnumbered. Always. I don't care what you're facing right now. God's got that outnumbered. He said, open your eyes, look at the hills. There's chariots of fire out there. I've got your enemies outnumbered. Would you just trust me? And this is not even where it ends. You ready? <laughs> As the enemy's coming in, this is what Elisha does. He prays and he says, hey, God, would you strike them with blindness? And so he strikes them with blindness. Now they could probably uh, physically see, but in that moment, they couldn't see at all what was happening. And Elisha says, hey, guys, uh, hey, I want to take you to the place you're trying to get to. And they're like, okay. You know, and this whole army starts following Elisha right into the Israelite camp. And the Israelites now have this army surrounded. And the Israelite king, before Elisha repraise to God and says, hey, go ahead, you can open, open their eyes again. The Israelite king looks at Elisha and says, hey, should we just wipe him out? Check this out. This is so crazy. I'm not making this up. You got to look at the story. Elisha looks at the king and says, no, 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 no. Uh, we're, and in just a minute, we're going to open these guys' eyes. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw a big dinner party for him. We're just going to have a big spread. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and uh, we'll just see what happens. And so he says, okay, God, you can open their eyes again. Their eyes are open. They're like, what the, you know? And then the king says, hey, we're going to throw a dinner party. And they're like, sweet. And so they all eat. And then they actually go home 
and peace resumed in Israel. (laughs) God has always got your enemies outnumbered. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? These blind guys came to Jesus, not when things were great, but in the middle of the darkness and they pressed in. They believed God was who he said he was, that Jesus had the power to do what he did. And he actually healed them. He restored their sight. And he said, according to your faith, I'm going to get this done for you. And here's the amazing thing. When a life has chosen to trust God in the middle of the darkness, this is what happens. You ready? You follow. You follow no matter what the cost. You press into Jesus. You obey him, not because it's convenient, but because it's hard. You, you, man, you give generously to what God has given you because you believe in the rescue mission and what God is doing. You press into Christian community around you, not because it's convenient. I'm telling you, it's ugly, but there's transformation that happens in relationships. You press in when things are dark, not pull back because what God wants to do in the middle of the darkness is precious. You follow. You follow, not when things are awesome, but because Jesus is awesome. Now, we'd rather follow Jesus when he says, hey, don't say anything about this. Just keep it to yourself. Just keep it private. The only reason Jesus said that is he, was, he didn't want a political movement in that moment. But I love the radical obedient disobedience from these guys. What do they do? They get healed and they get loud. <laughs> They spread this everywhere because they couldn't help it. I was blind. I could see again. I can't keep that quiet. Some of us in this room, we almost play a tame Christianity. You follow Jesus? Yeah, Christian. You know, you passionate about following? Yeah. Pretty passionate. Jesus is awesome. These guys were crying out loud. They said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They're crying and people are like, stop, stop. They're like, no, Jesus, I want you. They couldn't shut him up. Jesus himself looked at him and said, keep it quiet, guys. They're like, no, we got healed of blindness. Did you know, guys, that when Jesus put himself on the cross, He healed us of a spiritual blindness that separated us from our heavenly father from all eternity. That when Jesus came into this world, he was willing to be abused and rejected, mocked, misunderstood so that you could have freedom and that I could have freedom. Do you know that he gave it all for you and me so that we could have life forever? He put his life on the line, literally died, literally bled to death so that you and I would never have to pay that price. I don't know about you, but if he did nothing else for me in the rest of my life, I'd still praise him. I'd still tell others about him. You can't keep this guy quiet. I'm gonna go to Starbucks and I'm gonna tell my friends about Jesus. I'm gonna see my neighbors. I'm gonna tell them how awesome Jesus is. I'm gonna serve Dr. Crisp Elementary School and you better believe I'm not gonna keep it quiet because my God rose from the dead and he dealt with my sin when I needed to. He did it for me. That's the kind of God we serve. And that's the kind of God who's calling every one of us into the game. Are you following him? I get it, guys. The darkness right now feels crippling, disorienting, about as dark as it gets in the middle of a tent, in the middle of the woods, when you think a lion mountain is about to bear down on you and eat you alive. Jesus has always got your enemies outnumbered. And he's calling every one of us to see today. Let's pray.
God, my prayer for all of us today is that you'd open our eyes. Help us to see. Show us today, God, that the hills around us are filled with chariots of fire, that our God is not absent. Our God is for us. And the good things that you have in store are just around the corner because you love us so much. Help us believe that today, Jesus. God, would you open our eyes this week to see not just our own hurts, but the hurts of others in this city who need you. And to not stay quiet about it, God. Man, God, I'm praying on my knees weekly that you'd create a family of faith that would be so convicted about the reality of what you've done for us that we could not keep it to ourselves. That with everything inside of us and our bones, Jesus, would you light us up so that we could tell the world about what you've done for us. Jesus, would you do that for us? Would you make us a, a people so convicted, so filled with your love that we couldn't stop but give it to everybody else that we know? Don't let us be silent. Don't let us be blind. But let's passionately give you to everyone we know. Would you open the eyes of everyone here in Nashua and beyond for your glory? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.